Hello, and welcome to the Logistics Management Podcast Series. My name's Jeff Berman. I'm Group News Editor for Logistics Management Magazine and also the Peerless Media Supply Chain Group. Today, it's a real pleasure to welcome back our, our very good friend, Mike Regan, to the podcast. Uh, Mike is uh, really well-known and active within the logistics industry. He is the um, co-founder and also Chief Relationship Officer for Transact Technologies. Uh, Transact Technologies, in case you're not familiar with them, uh, is one of the largest privately held logistics information and freight audit and payment companies in the nation. Uh, but Mike wears uh, a few different hats in addition to his uh, his role at Transact. Um, he's active in several industry organizations, including the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals, also known as CSCMP. He was a 2014 recipient of CSCMP's Distinguished Service Award. Um, additionally, he also serves as chairman of the Young, or I'm sorry, the YPO Manufacturing Excellence Network, which is comprised of 4,000 companies. Uh, Mike has also been a featured contributor and published several blogs and in industry periodicals, including logistics management. Has also been quoted in publications such as the Wall Street Journal and many others. Um, Mike, uh, always a pleasure to have you back. Welcome back to the podcast. Jeff, listen, it's a real honor and uh, privilege to be speaking with you once again. And uh, you guys at Logistics Management and the uh, Peerless Supply Chain Group do a great job of covering what's going on in the industry. So delighted to join you with for this podcast. Yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate your kind words. Mike, before we jump into sort of I guess what we'll call the nitty gritty or the ins and outs of what's going on in the industry. For those uh, that are listening in, they may not be familiar with Transact. Can you sort of provide a, a top level overview of the company for them? Sure. Uh, our, our objective at Transact is to uh, help shippers improve their profitability. Uh, how we help them improve their profitability is by helping them reduce their transportation and logistics costs, but more importantly, also through our consultative uh, group, help them improve their supply chain processes, which help them grow their business or do what they do more effectively and efficiently and add it all up and you get a better bottom line when you're dealing with Transact. Uh, very briefly, Jeff, you know, you mentioned we started off as an audit and payment company. Uh, we made some acquisitions, a company called Numerax way back when, which got us into the rating side pretty hard. Numerax was the grandfather of all rating engines. And that got us into our Freedom Logistics offering which was to basically help companies uh, use their uh, use our capacity and expertise in the rating area to help them lower their LTL cost. Uh, okay. Today, the Freedom Logistics Group, as well as our transportation management services area with the technology play, uh, has morphed into helping companies in what's known in the business as managed services, where we can come in and perform specific logistics functions. And then finally, we've got our supply chain edge consulting group, and then our uh, CSS Brokerage Group, which is a boutique brokerage which does a great job helping shippers move those hard to move loads. So that's Transact today, Jeff. Oh, yeah, I, I appreciate the overview. Really a full service operation, to say the least. Um, right. So, Mike, let's uh, sort of start at the top. Uh, you know, and I, when it, a lot of uh, times when I talk to people like you, I like, I like to sort of uh, get their sense of how they're seeing what I like to call the freight economy. And in in other words, it's sort of the intersection of how the freight economy is matching up with what's happening with sort of many of the key economic indicators out there. You know, I, I'm thinking things along the lines of inflation, retail sales, uh, demand levels, 
uh, what's happening with manufacturing, industrial production, uh, the return to services-based spending. I mean, there are so many things going on right now to impact and influence freight, uh, freight spend, freight volumes, et cetera. Why don't you just take a few minutes, Mike, and sort of let me know how you're sort of seeing the lay of the land as it relates to that. Sure, sure. Uh, right now, Jeff, let me cut right to the chase and say, I don't think anyone who's tracked the industry for any length of time has uh, any doubt that we are in fact in the midst of a freight recession, mm -hmm. okay? And we have a group uh, that's known as the supply chain huddle, where we bring together senior shippers on a every other month basis to go over what's going on in the industry in specific areas. And uh, we have a, a, a noted economist that frequently joins us, Walter. And Walter pointed out that his prediction from July of 2022 was that you'd see a consumer recession followed by a freight recession leading to a full-scale uh, economic recession. Mm -hmm. And the conditions that Walter uh, outlined were absolutely there in 2022. He nailed it. And we are in the midst of that freight recession now. Does that lead to a economic recession? Uh, if anyone that, you know this, Jeff, uh, we're very proud of this, our website, transact.com. Uh, I interview Gary Schilling, who's a noted economist, uh, every six months, just did one a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah. Walter, as I mentioned, his, he is a wonderful economist. And then Scott Group, uh, I interviewed him. Some of your listeners may not know, but Scott is at Wolf Research and is generally regarded as one of the more, you know, astute anal analysts, along with some of the others from Cowan and, you know, uh, uh, Stiefel and, and those folks. But what we're seeing is a, a, the freight recession is where the uh, excess capacity is getting sold off at a price which is significantly lower than what carriers were able to charge last year. So, you know, hypothetically, not you know, you not hypothetically rather, but, you know, in the ocean market uh, 15 months ago, Jeff, if I went back to, you know, uh, January 2022 and that type of thing, uh, you were moving ocean containers at 18 to 22, 23,000 in the Trans-Pacific Lane. Uh, that was down from 25 to 30,000 in the summer of 2021. So shippers were saying, well, maybe they're coming down. No one ever foresaw that you would be moving ocean containers today at a rate of, you know, nine hundred to two thousand dollars a container sure. in the Trans-Pacific Lane. No one, Jeff. Look, you guys have done a wonderful job covering the industry, and you yourself are a very astute observer. No one could have seen the collapse in ocean rate coming. Uh, but then we also saw the in the truckload market, especially the last three to six months. You know, somewhere in the area of a 15 to 25% drop, you mm -hmm. saw an inversion in the spot market. And by that, I mean, you know, a year and a half ago, the spot market was running at 70 to 80 cents uh, above the contract rates. Uh, today, it's come back a little bit, but a couple of months ago, it was running at 60 to 70 cents below the contract rate. You know, so you're looking at a $1.30 variance, $1.40 variance against, uh, you know, two, two and a quarter, 240 rate. And then so you're seeing basically the full or the effect of a freight recession. And that leads to the question, you know, how long will it continue? And what does it mean for shippers? Right. And what it means for shippers is that, uh, you know, I've been to a bunch of conferences lately. 
And, you know, basically some shippers have said, this is an environment where we get to even the scorecard. You know, the carriers took very aggressive rate increases in 2021, 2022, Jeff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Shippers are seeking very aggressive reductions uh, on the backside. Now, that has been applicable in the truckload market. And in the LTL, that's really basically been a very interesting market. Normally, that will move in tandem with truckload, but this time it hasn't. Uh, if you had really good rates, you're an LTL shipper. Uh, you may see flat rates or a potential small decrease. If you're a, a shipper that has, you know, okay average rates, uh, we have seen opportunities and help support some companies uh, reduce their LTL cost by 12 to 15 percent by aligning their freight with the right carrier. So that's an overview, perhaps more than you bargained for, Jeff. Oh, but that's I, what we're seeing in the freight markets right now. It's, it's terrific. You, you in turn, essentially uh, answered my second question as well. So, you know, and just to take that a step further, Mike, um, you know, you had touched upon sort of what was happening when we look at the intersection of contract and spot rates. Obviously, it was a very different or unusual story um, when we saw spot really shoot up, um, especially going back a few more than a few months now putting that in one bucket how do you view sort of the current capacity environment uh everyone during especially over the course of pandemic would, would continue to mention uh and indicate you know truck availability for so many different reasons was i don't want to say scarce but close to scarce right um you know how we look in capacity wise now would you say in comparison yeah i think the general consensus Jeff, is that there is you know, a, a, lots of available capacity. Yeah. And you see that in the, you know, the tender acceptance rates, you know, that that publishes and truck yeah. stop publishes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you, you've seen some other indications that, uh, you know, as much as the carriers have tried to uh, retrench, you know, they're also looking at the fact that, you know, as my, I'm, I'm on the board of the National Industrial Transportation League as well. Yes. And uh, the chairman of the highway committee is a good friend of mine, Jeff Tucker. You know, Jeff does a great job of saying that what's really kind of interesting about the transportation world is the compression of cycles. So right, you know, in 2015, the market was super, you know, hot, 2014, 2015. 2016, 2017, the market was soft. 2018, it was hot. 2019 cold and what you know normally these cycles played out over a four to six year period now they're playing out over a two to three year period yeah so consequently if i'm running a truckload carrier and is a, you know I, I serve on the board of a publicly traded carrier and you know i get all sorts of analyst reports just because i like reading them you know the the night swifts the uh werners the schneiders the universals you know, we have to protect capacity in anticipation of the market coming back. So that presents a very interesting challenge uh, that Jason Seidel from Cowan has talked about is, you know, the carriers now are not getting the margins they were getting a year ago. And maybe those margins, instead of 18, 21%, that freight is moving at a margin of seven to nine, 10%. Okay. So that's what's going on that shippers need to be fully aware of. Okay. Yeah. Well, well put. Um, you know, 
as we as we move on uh, and get further away from sort of the uh, well, I guess what I'll call the deaths of the pandemic, Mike, definitely things are having a more normal feel or, or vibe to them. Uh, would you say we're officially at the point of if we're not at it, uh, getting closer to a supply chain reset of sorts as things normalize? You're, and the reason I ask that is because you're you're seeing a lot of indicators. Uh, I'll use uh, import volumes. There's a report from Descartes that, that came out earlier this week talking about how uh, U.S. bound imports in January, for example, were at pre-pandemic, in fact, at January 2019 levels. So I don't want to directly tie this to that import uh, that import stat, if you will, but just on a more of a general uh, feel basis. Do you, do you think we're approaching a normalization of sorts or do we have more of a way to go, do you think? You know, Jeff, that is that is a great, great question. And I, boy, I wish I could give you a better answer than the one I'm about to offer. Uh, because the one I'm about to offer is, I think so, but I don't know for certain. Right. And And, you know, here's the problem, Jeff, that I would just encourage your listeners to think through. You know, you've been a huge supporter of ours and we put out our two minute warnings for the last 15 years. Yes. And one of the things that we encourage people to do is to really look not just at the transportation and logistics, but in that supply chain. So you're talking about a supply chain reset. And I, I think what's happened as a result of COVID, it's opened up a world of possibilities that people didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. So I was on a panel discussion last week at a conference, and I, I said, I think we're in the midst of a supply chain renaissance because there are opportunities to do things differently with your supply chain. But going back to your question about the reset, the, the thing that has me concerned, which is why shippers ought to be, but very few are doing any kind of scenario planning and asking the what if question, is there still some you know, what I call headline moving events that could occur that could basically throw supply chains into chaos again. Yes. And, you know, you take a look, we call them, I, I stopped saying black swans because with everything that happened in 2021 and 2022, I said some black swans got really, they got loose and they were very prolific in procreating because <laughs> there were black swans everywhere you turn. Yes, yes. So, you know, the one thing that we've been trying to offer to people is an assessment that says, you know, if you're not taking a look at, you know, the China factor, like right now, Jeff, I don't know, I personally, and I'd be curious if you have heard anyone who can definitively state what's really going on in China. And, yeah. <laughs> and that is the world's, you know, second largest economy. And, you know, we, we see, Walter Kim says that the economist that I talked about, yeah, you know, sure. Well, for great job, yeah, of, of basically opening our eyes. The, the the port of Shanghai in Ningbo and Shenzhen, you know, collectively move close to 50 million containers, you know, pre-COVID environment, right? Well, you shut those containers, those those ports down for three months, like the Chinese did, or two months, you'd expect a huge backlog. But another friend of mine, Ron Murata from Houston Logistics, pointed out. The backlog when things started coming back online was, you know, 100 to 200,000 containers, which means that no one foresaw just how significant the shutting down of China was and has been. And so consequently, no one can answer 
what happens if China comes back on full stream or when China comes back on. And so yeah. when you talk about the great reset, you have the China variable as well as things like, you know, the China Taiwan issue, the Russian Ukraine issue. Uh, you know, we see things, for example, on the horizon in the US, is UPS going to strike uh, when their Teamster contract expires? Uh, there's issues at FedEx with their pilots. And so these are what I call headline moving events that smart shippers are at least putting on their radar screen and asking if this occurs, how will it affect our company? Mm -hmm. and what do we need to do when these things happen? Does that make sense, Jeff? Absolutely. And that's a really, really good list. Uh, I don't know if I caught it or not, but uh, there's also the West Coast labor uh, talks, which remain unresolved at this point to definitely keep an eye on. So no shortage of, uh, of things to monitor, uh, and all of which, each of which I should say could also, um, play, a, have a say in, uh, the pace of any meaningful supply chain reset too. Right. Um, so shifting gears, Mike, um, I, there's a lot in, in there's a lot going on. There's been a lot in the uh, mainstream media, especially of late tube, as it relates to the whole um, the whole um, inventory management discussion, right. just right. based just based on inventory levels being so high uh, over the course of 2022 and, and into this year, coupled with uh, lower import volumes, especially into the West Coast ports um, from China, as you know, so China remaining that wild card. Um, but long story short. What are you telling your customers or what are you hearing from industry friends about the sort of the steps shippers need to be taking or are taking as it relates to uh, getting a handle on inventory management? Because uh, we all know that spigot is going to is going to be flowing uh, more fully at some point than, than it is at the moment. Yeah, three key resources, Jeff. Another great question. I've mentioned Walter a couple of times on our supply chain huddle, the last supply chain huddle. He said, if you're an ocean, you know, if you've got containers coming in and you are not looking at what he called a four corner strategy, you are literally missing the boat. And what he was saying specifically is, you know, because of the way the U.S. is set up, to, it flows west to east, right? Yeah. Because yeah. the railroads at the ports. Well, you know, Long Beach and uh, L.A., you know, the number varies a little bit. But generally speaking, you know, what we cover at the NIT League and also with CSCMP and some of the industry associations, you know, prior to all this thing blowing up, you had about 42 to 43 percent of your containers coming through two ports. Well, now you see basically a diversion of freight. You know, you could say triggered by the West Coast talks, although, you know, I think shippers could be reasonably optimistic that a settlement will soon be coming there, at least we hope. But even if the Teamsters or the ILWU West Coast port stuff resolves itself, you know, a lot of companies are now taking a look at the flow of ocean containers, bringing them in where it's closer to their customer. Mm -hmm. So I don't have the inland, you know, transportation issues. So th that's point number one. The second thing that I would encourage people to do, and I don't want to, you know, have a shameless plug here, but you know Scott Group from Wolf Research. You go to transact.com. He did a phenomenal job of explaining how the bullwhip effect, and that's, you know what the bullwhip effect is. Yep. I'm selling some stuff. I panic, believing I'm not going to have enough of it. 
and then I overbuy and I'm sitting with excess inventory. And so, you know, the example of that is dog cages. You know, during COVID, you know, the number of dogs owned shot up and a lot of people had to buy cages. So a lot of the manufacturers ordered in a lot more cages. Well, now, you know, my dog only has one cage. She hasn't requested a second one. Yeah. So, you know, we, it's called the destocking issue. So we are going through a destocking thing uh, effect right now that is basically creating excess demand that we just talked about, Jeff. And then the third point that I think is really, really important is with interest rates continuing to go up, you know, we, we think, you know, based on what Gary Schilling told us in that interview, and that's, that's over at transact.com. And Jerome Powell just, what did he say this week? That it may be faster and higher. So you now have an inventory carrying cost issue that you didn't have perhaps two, three years ago. Mm -hmm. So it now has put the spotlight, maybe perhaps away from supply chain issues, squarely on inventory management issues. And so I think this is something, Jeff, you have astutely pointed out, is going to be something that a lot of supply chain professionals are going to be spending a considerable amount of time with other departments within their organization. You know, in YPO, the network that I chaired, the Manufacturing Excellence Network, we have 4,000 plus members around the world. And I will tell you, a lot of these members are now taking a look at their sales forecasting processes and asking, you know, how good, how reliable is that forecasting process in terms of matching up our inventory with anticipated demand? Great yeah. question. Thanks no, for asking that. No, th and thanks for the feedback. Just a couple more quick ones, Mike. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up here, um, you know, I had jotted down and I realized right now it's a little bit thin, uh, just market outlook for 2023. So why don't we just take a few steps back to the first of the year, if, if you will, and heading into this year, Mike, given all we've been through, especially the last three years, what were sort of your expectations for 2023? I know there were uh, a couple of weeks shy of the end of Q1. So time, it just shows how time really does fly. But get, given what we've seen on a year-to-date basis, if you will, compared to your expectations heading into the year, how do you sort of reconcile or, or match up uh, what hap <laughs> what's happening versus perhaps what you thought might happen? You know, Jeff, uh, boy, you, you, uh, you <laughs> I, I keep telling you, the, the reason I love doing these things with you is you ask great questions. Uh, you're giving me a chance to be very humble uh, and <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sitting down, so lay it on me. <laughs> well, no, here's what we predicted. We, we predicted that rates would have to, you know, continue to at least stay at their current levels because here's something coming out of 2021, 2022. You know, I interviewed Shelly Simpson is the CEO, you know, the president of, of J.B. Yeah, Hunt, Hunt, a good yeah. friend of mine. Uh, you know, I, I talked to the LTL carriers. I, I have several of them that are friends of mine that are CEOs of LTL carriers. You know, Dave Yeager, now he's stepped down as a CEO, but his son, Phil's doing a great job at Hub Group. Here's the thing that these carriers all have a, a cost structure, a higher cost structure. These higher costs are now embedded in their system. They're paying their drivers more. They're paying more for insurance. They're paying more for equipment. So at the beginning of the year, I was saying, well, the market's not real robust, so they're not going to continue to get like Jason 
said, you know, the 20% margins, you know, the eight, 9% margins, they may have to live with. But what has happened is the freight recession, it, it, it's, it's turning out to be more significant than what I saw at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Okay. And so that leads to the following predictions. And I just, in this week, uh, two minute warning, uh, I'll be putting it out. And that is, you know, based on everything that we have been tracking, ocean rates are going to stay soft at least through the second quarter, end of June, mm -hmm. likely into the third quarter. And the fourth quarter is a crapshoot based on, you know, whether inventories, you know, uh, a year and a half, two years ago, you had the crisis of not having enough inventory. Today, we have too much inventory, and it's also a mix issue, what's known as a mix issue. I have too much of the stuff I don't need and not enough stuff of the, you know, not enough inventory of the stuff yep. that's actually moving. Yep. So uh, ocean rates, we think, are could will come back. Uh, and, you know, we see additional ocean capacity coming online. Uh, truckload rates, we're seeing the, the spot now start to move up again, which tells us that it will, the days, there is a window to lower your rates, but that window is in fact closing. And we would expect that come the third quarter, uh, there will be at least a, a more, uh, a, a, a better climate for carriers, they won't continue to be getting clobbered on their contracts with the shippers. In the LTL, we see that running, you know, uh, pretty consistent with, it's really, a, you know, these LTL carriers, our friend from Pitt, Ohio, that you know, Jeff Musing, yep. he was at one of our supply chain huddles. He did a great job of explaining the cost structure for carriers. So, you know, and they are disciplined. And so we see LTL rates you know, basically a mixed bag. Some could go up, some could go down. And then the parcel, tell me, uh, I, I was talking with the super large shipper at a conference and he said, you know, UPS isn't going to have a strike. And I said, really? And he said, I've, I've talked to the experts. And I said, really, who are they? He said, some <laughs> of the executives at UPS. And I said, well, UPS is a great company. We love UPS. We love FedEx. But, you know, if you take a look, you covered, you know, your magazine, Logistics Management, and you personally, you know, the Teamsters basically are sending out signs that they expect this to be a, you know, uh, a contentious negotiations. And, you yes. know, one of the things that we covered in a two-minute warning, it's not just the pay increase from the 2018 contract, because they think they got taken advantage of, and, you know, Hoffa basically imposed that on them. But they're also looking for things like air-conditioned trucks. Mm -hmm. And there's approximately 500,000 UPS trucks. And so we're dealing with quality of life issues that go beyond the compensatory issues that are typical of union negotiations. So I don't know if that answers everything there for no, you, Jeff. But it's, it, it's, it's definitely, it definitely covers the basis. I appreciate it. Um, and just one more, Mike, before we wrap up, and this is sort of a tried and true topic for you. And you've actually written about it for us at logistics management and in, in, uh, in your guest blog spot. Um, it, we've really seen this evolution. Maybe that's not the right word. Uh, this, this, um, 
transition where supply chain has really fully gotten a, a seat at the table, the, the yeah. C-level suite table. It's no longer this sort of line item or this thing that just, you know, you don't hear about unless things go uh, really, really poorly, which is, uh, so we started to hear more about it, obviously, during the pandemic. But that was just kind of to, to, to raise my point is, uh, has how do you feel that the supply chain has uh evolved in terms of its stature, its position, its prominence within uh, company boardrooms, within key discussions, within planning, et cetera. Um, that's a lot there. I know there's a question in there somewhere, Mike, um, <laughs> but, but uh, I'm just kind of looking to, to see what you think about sort of the, ri the rise of supply chain within sea level suites and circles, if you will. Well, you know, Jeff, I love blogging, writing a blog for logistics management, uh, you guys, and I, I'm, I'm really honored that I get to do that. I would encourage people to read some of the blogs that I've posted under what we have called, you You kind of prompted me to do this, the Note to CEO yes, series. Yes. And, and let me just give you three very brief stories because I know we have to wrap up. But I was talking to a, a YPOer and he said, Mike, let me explain my world to you now. He said, it, you know, prior to COVID and really into 2020, I was spending about three to 5% of my time on supply chain issues. Today, I'm spending 70 to 75% of my time on supply chain issues. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I would say that's something that you need to take note of. The second thing I would direct you to take a look at is when you see companies like Whirlpool, taking a hundred plus million dollar hit, I think, for supply chain related issues. You see Target last July taking, you know, a billion dollar hit for supply chain issues. I, I will simply mention that you have to realize that if you're in the transportation and logistics area or the supply chain area, you can see it as an incredible opportunity or you can be scared to death. Sure. Because I will tell you, I talked to a lot of CEOs and presidents and C-level executives, and they they now know that this disciplined supply chain, you can't take it for granted, which means if you're a logistics and transportation and supply chain professional, you can't hide. And the third thing, Jeff, I would just direct you to, uh, we are hosting a webcast. You know, we do these webcasts and you guys have always been great supporters. We're doing it with Knit League and CSCMP. And by the time people hear this podcast, it'll be, it's going on uh, tomorrow. Okay. And it'll be available at transact.com. And it's called What I Wish I Knew When My Board Calls. And that's not the parole board. <laughs> to give you an idea, Jeff, when we did the other first part, which was what I wish my C-level executives knew about truckload and LTL pricing, we had almost 700 people sign up for that webcast. And this one is got over, you know, it's we're right around 500 have signed up. And I will simply tell the people that hopefully, Jeff, uh, that listen to this podcast, it'll be up at transact.com. I was on a call two days ago and I will simply say why, and you, this is what you and I talk about all the time and you've been gracious enough to let me blog. One of my friends is one of the top executives in the country for outplacement consulting. 
in recruiting. Okay. When you get whacked, a lot of people, senior level, call John. And he mentioned something to me a couple of years ago that the single biggest threat, career threat for most senior level executives isn't lack of technical skills. It's an inability to effectively communicate with those people above them. So my challenge for everyone listening to this podcast is listen to what we're going to be talking about on our webcast and think about how you communicate these supply chain issues. Because one of the people, Kevin Smith, who's a friend and a retired you know, senior VP from CVS said, you know, Mike, the reality of it is when the board calls, you had better have done a lot of work before then over the past year, two, three years, establishing your reputation and establishing your, you know, track record for reliability. And if you haven't done that, you know, that that's not good for you. And if you have done that, you know, that's why the supply chain renaissance theme, Jeff, that we're hitting here is incredibly useful and important. And I'll, I'll write a blog about it for logistics management and hopefully you'll publish it yeah, because you guys absolutely. do a great job. So absolutely. hopefully that helps. No, that'd be great. And I, I appreciate that, that, uh, that, that, uh, uh, feedback to be sure. But, uh, Mike, that brings us to the end of our time for today's podcast. So on behalf of logistics management magazine and the peerless media supply chain group, I'd like to offer up a big thanks for joining us again. This is at least your second time, uh, uh on the podcast. We look, obviously look forward to having you back again, hopefully later this year. Um, and also, I just want to quickly tell the audience um, to uh, to please feel free to go ahead and uh, visit the Transact Technology site. It's T-R-A-N-Z-A-C-T dot com. Is, is that correct, Mike? Yes, it sure is, Jeff. Okay. And um, and also, Mike had mentioned um, that he does he has written a number of blogs over the years on uh, on our website at logisticsmgmt.com. So I would encourage you to go check them out. Uh, all, all really good information and commentary from Mike there. And uh, also just our, our little LM plug here. For those of you on Twitter, please go ahead and give us a follow. It's simply at LogisticsMGMT. And, uh, and for those of you that are not uh, currently subscribing to the podcast, uh, please go ahead and do so wherever you get your podcast. All you got to do is uh, punch in supply chain 24 seven and it should come right up and uh and please uh subscribe but we'd love to have you join us um so that's it everyone thanks again mike regan for joining us today and uh thanks to all of our audience for listening in uh have a great day and we'll see you next time thanks everyone